This week on Log It, we are talking about a great movie, Moby Dick, 1956, directed by John Huston, written by Ray Bradbury and John Huston. We are joined this week by my good friend Angelo, a.k.a. Cinesplice. He is here to talk Moby Dick and Last Four and movies in general. Unfortunately, Ian is not able to join us. He has some family in town that is uh, taking up his time. So we'll have him back next week, but this week it'll just be me and Angelo. So we'll see how that goes. It'll be a little experiment. What's up, Angelo? How are you doing, man? Doing great. Thank you for having me, man. No, dude, I'm very grateful you came. Like I said, Ian won't be able to join us because he's got some family in town. I think he's actually driving to the airport as we speak, which is a uh, unfortunate. So he'll be back next week. This week, you were nice enough to watch Moby Dick for me. I picked it last week uh, as our movie, or two weeks ago, I picked it as our yeah. movie, not knowing Ian would be gone. It's really fun to have you as a guest host. Thank you. Thank you for, thank you for having me. How are you doing? Have you been uh, watching a lot of movies? Yeah, I've been doing great, man. It's been a, it's been a fascinating time in the movie culture. It's, it's, it's crazy to be in like the center of like... Especially living out here in LA, it's just like everyone has been uh, on the big, the big train right now, the big Barbenheim train. So, um, oh yeah, I've been here. It's everywhere. Yeah, it's crazy, man. And a part of me is like, it, it is nice to see two like big movies by two sure. directors out at the same time, and in a way, like, okay, that's cool. It's it's doing good business in the theaters and like keeping movies making it alive but in a time where it's about to collapse man it's such a fascinating time you're seeing a success yeah. of these two movies and you're seeing like this new era where it's about to change like you know everybody's against this ai and uh i don't know yeah, man i don't know the writer strike going this. on yeah yeah it's big it's a big weird time as the writer strike happens you know we have two original you know hit movies like bigger than we've had in a little while it's kind of confusing where it's yeah. like yeah. I, I think it's I think it's great. I didn't see either of them. I I'm very interested in Oppenheimer. I did go see Insidious Five with my little brother and my wife. Oh, how would you think? And uh, it was the it was fun. It was cool. Uh, it was directed by Patrick, the star of the film. Yeah. His name I can't remember. Patrick Wilson. Wilson. There we go. Because I did see it too. Oh, you did. Okay, cool. Yeah. That'll be fun to talk about. I, th- I thought it was fun. I, I did. I did. I appreciated it. I I do think they didn't have much of a story to tell. I think a lot of it was just kind of fumbling <laughs> for something because it just kind of ended. And I was like, oh, I didn't feel much build up or suspense at the end. I have to agree because the first two movies, I remember still feeling chills after I watch them. I always feel like, wow, like I think the demon's right next to me and I don't know what to do. Yeah, those like, are classics. I, I love the first ones. Those were really fun. They were, they were great. And every time this new movie cuts to flashbacks of the first two, I just rather want to watch those <laughs> movies, actually. like I mean, I don't want to yeah. be too harsh on this movie because it's cool. It's no. like a cool little, like, you know, it's, it's a fun little haunted house film. I call these like haunted house rides, like the Conjuring sequels, The Nun. Like they're just Conjurings are great too. Those are fun. They're like my guilty pleasures. I think like I always, if they're not great, at least like I could enjoy some dumb scares. But yeah, no, I, it's not. I don't think it was as good as the the first two. And I just remember, I think when I went to visit you, we watched uh, a spinoff or like a prequel to uh, maybe one of the Nun ones or the Doll. No, the Doll is Conjuring. I think it was the one about the, the medium. It was like it was about her origin. When she yes, was a kid. and the, the 
the two guys were big parts of it. The two nerdy guys. Yeah. And I think they wrote and directed it. One of them. It was like his project, really. Yeah, that was a fun one. I think it was like the third or the fourth one. Yeah. And I, I have not seen it. And I remember it was I just got off the plane. We went once to your house. We had some dinner and I'm like, let's just watch Insidious 4 or whatever it was. And I'm like, sure. Yeah. yeah. It was cool. They're fun. They're cool. fun ones just to hang out and yeah, get some get some little thrills. You don't have to pay too much attention. You kind of get the gist of it. I did get chills because I was sitting next to your chimney and I felt like I heard something in there during the movie. Oh, yeah. Right I on. I think so. There was a chimney, right? Right underneath your TV. Oh yeah, there was. It was on top of the chimney. Yeah, yeah I yeah, remember I heard something, but I just tried, I don't know if it was the movie or if it was something in there. Yeah, that's but. so funny. It's probably our upstairs neighbors. <laughs> that's really great. But it was pretty fun. It was a fun movie. Yeah, but I was gonna say there were people dressed up for Barbie there. And oh. I did think it was fun. It was kind of nostalgic because I feel like they're Maybe since the new Star Wars came out, there hasn't been a movie where people go and it's like a big event. Yeah, I have to agree. I actually thought about that and I'm like, you know what? I'll let them have it. Like, and I, I am interested. I'll watch it when it's streaming for sure. I think Greta Gerwig's great and I like Ryan Gosling. You know, I just don't. I, yeah. I'm not a big theater fan in general now. I, I must say I've become quite a, a grouch, a, a, a grinch when it comes to the theater. It's understandable. I mean, like we've talked about it, it's an effort sometimes. Like, oh, I got to go park like half hour yeah. early and it's going to be like 10 yeah. minutes to walk to By the, the seats, theater. The night yeah. before. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's time man. consuming. And then it's just, it's just crowds, man, because I did see both of these movies and both were crowded as f- a few. And I, I had I did have moments where I'm like, Am I feeling body heat? This is a lot of people. I haven't felt that in a this long time. Cool. With any movies. Yeah, Maybe yeah. not since like yeah the Avengers movies. Like it felt like that. Like it was just everybody's at the movies. It was it's crazy, man. Yeah, it got warm in my theater, and I was very uncomfortable. I did not like it. I was like, I should. If I was at home, I'd have a fan in my face. The AC would be on. Yeah. I would, you know, I definitely become spoiled watching movies at home. I, I, and COVID just changed my whole perspective on the theater experience. I have to say it's way less fun to sit in a room with other people now. <laughs> and and there's nothing wrong with that because the whole point is to get comfortable and focus and pay attention to a movie. Right. And, right. And no matter where you're at, as long as you're getting at least a, a good, decent amount of picture and audio, as long as you're got your own snacks and, you know, and everyone's on a budget. Movies are expensive. Man. True that too, man. You know, like I do have the AMC A list where I pay uh, 20, 23 bucks a month and you get three movies yeah. a week. It's, it's a good deal. But if you're just going to go and just watch a movie by itself and pay for snacks, you're going to spend like 40, 50 bucks, man. I think it, it's expensive. Yeah. Yeah. When we went, it was at least like 60 bucks for tickets for the three of us. And then we got, you know, popcorn <sighs> yeah. and drinks and it's a, it's a decent price tag. And then if the person in front of you is on their phone, you're kind of like, Wow, this is, you know I'm paying the premium price for a night out. This would have been a nice dinner. Other, you know, you could get it. Maybe not nowadays. Maybe it's twenty dollars a person for dinner is kind of not that much. <laughs> but <laughs> no, but it, you know. But I'm, I like I said, I'm glad there was something. I'm glad they there was a, a bit. I'm glad there's an event. I'm high schoolers got to go and dress up and go to the movies and do a fun thing. You know. Yeah, that's good. Especially like this post COVID era. You know, you don't. It was very surprising to see like movies like that take off because there are times where like you hear movies bombing. Like there's been like a lot of bombs this oh, year. Yeah, man. Ever since I think Ant Man was the first of the dominoes of the flop bust flop bust flop buster. <laughs> flop buster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's been a long streak, man. Like you had Ant Man flop, yeah. and then 
There was another big one after that. I know Indiana Jones is one of them. Is it more yeah. recently? Well, and it goes to show you if the people were excited about movies, they'd go see them. And yes. maybe it's just the movies aren't very exciting that are coming out and there's, it's not worth you, the, the, the price is higher literally and figuratively. Like we talked about you uh, the other night we were talking on the phone and you said you found a ticket from one of the star Wars prequels. Yes, I did. Which one was it? The third one? Yes. Revenge of the Sith. Revenge of the Sith. And it was what six fifty you told me six fifty man it was the evening show and so tickets are like eighteen bucks now fifteen <laughs> to eighteen bucks so it's like Time triple three. yeah triple yeah you know double to triple the price in in you know fifteen years which is kind of crazy yeah I can't believe it so, so there's just more so if it, if you have a bad experience if you just sit if there's somebody talking in your theater if there's somebody on their phone in front of you just the the stakes are higher, you know, the yeah. cost and then the trade off again, where I can watch this at home on my nice TV and buy a, 10 bags of popcorn for 10 bucks at yeah. Walmart and have it, all the popcorn, you know, These like TVs are getting better too, man. We're reaching 8k now. And like you watch a 4k yeah. film at home. It looks great. Like it looks fantastic. Yeah. As long as you have good internet or if you're a physical media collector, you get those 4k Blu-rays. They look great. Yeah. You have a home theater set up like you're good. Yeah. Shall we get into last four? Is there anything else you want to talk about in like uh, general stuff? Uh, no, let's do it. Okay. So on July 23rd, I watched Mistress America, directed by uh, Noah nice. Baumbach, written by Greta Gerwig. The same day, <laughs> the afternoon, I, re- <laughs> I went to see Oppenheimer again, in IMAX 70 millimeter. The next day, I watched Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to nice. Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, from 1964, cool. directed by the great Stanley Kubrick. Of course. And the last movie I watched was the movie we're going to talk about, uh, Moby Dick, from 1956. Yeah, thank you for watching. Directed by the great John Huston. Yeah, which some fun stuff to talk about him in that movie. You watched Oppenheimer, which is about the bomb. Yes, I did. And then you watch Dr. Strangelove. I assume that was on purpose. Yeah, the movie, I mean, no no doubt. Like, I mean, I, he's always talked about Kubrick and an influence on his work. And the movie, you know, the style of the movies that he makes, he, it's, Christopher Nolan already has his own, like, vibe. But everything's so dense. Everything's so, like, super serious. <laughs> and uh, while, like, there's high stakes where things are, like, about to, like, collapse or whatever sure i just wanted a, a refresher or similar not it's not the same movie but i just wanted to watch uh just wanted to revisit that movie and dr strangelove been wanting to see and i thought it was a good excuse to be like let's watch a fun version of a bomb that's about to destroy the world that actually is like fictional and i could just laugh and have a good time with all the craziness in that film which i forgot how great that movie is too it's, it's a lot of fun it's really hilarious a lot of good physical comedy from uh, Peter Sellers. So I love his his Nazi hand is so funny to me. <laughs> it's so funny, man. It's so great. Um, when I was a kid, it was so confusing and hilarious. I, I don't think I really understood it, but it was it cracked me up. Oh man, I wonder how young you were when you watched this movie. But it must have been still fun. Though. I watched it pretty young. I think this is when I got exposed to at a young age. I think it was a. I guess you could say it's a family film. It's rated G. Like, <laughs> yeah. I feel it's funny as. First few films were G, man, and like 2001. I always forget it's a G-rated film. It's that's cr- crazy <laughs> and like pretty awesome when you think about, and especially how like 
psychologically intense that movie is. It's pretty hilarious that there's nothing that'll trigger the, you know, parental guidance board or whatever it you is. You think, right? Like, you think they would do a, uh, um, whatchamacallit, like a, like a re-rating uh, on a movie? You would think it would be like PG-13 now, but I don't think it's that bad. It's just eerie. I feel like Hal scared me yeah. when I was a kid, especially when he pushes the guy off of the pushes the other um astronaut off of his line and yeah. his body just fly that's still pretty disturbing to me yeah no he's he is terrifying with this just that simple yeah. monotone voice the whole movie i think what scared me i think i i didn't fully watch it but i was a kid or really young just came through tv and we had direct tv and it's at 2001 just saw monkeys for two minutes, three minutes, and that was already scary. Because yeah, they were just beating, yeah, beating up the other monkey, and I was like, oh, what is yeah. this? I don't want to watch this. <laughs> but I switched well, the channel. And the, the makeup in that movie, they're like demon monkeys. I know they're like humans dressed up as monkeys, obviously, but it looks way creepier than regular monkeys. They really look like these like humanoid things. Uh, so that was always disturbing f- for that reason as well to me that they didn't look quite human and they don't quite yeah. like m- monkeys or apes like they're <laughs> just you know this weird it was like yeah. crossbreed like they are played by actors and was, i think it was the same year as planet of the apes it kind of blows my mind that those movies came that out the same weird. year but it is it is it is wild that both films came out that same time yeah that is cool it's kismet before the moon landing it's like ants and bug life <laughs> Oh yeah! See, we're <laughs> part of that kid generation. Oh, gotta be like yeah. elementary because I remember seeing both in theaters, and I think my parents asked me which movie did you like more, and I always said Bugs Life was my favorite. Yeah, oh yeah, Ants was weird. I always wanted to want to watch Ants, and then I'd watch it. I'm like, this is a weird yeah. movie. And then I watched it as an adult. I was like, yeah, I should, this is a weird. It's not a kids movie for sure. Because exactly, I think that's made for like the older audience. Because I know my parents really liked it, and I hadn't because they know Woody Allen and all that. So I, right, I, I had no so idea. So funny <laughs> that he voiced the that he plays of ant in it. But that movie really makes like like his answer. It makes it look gross the way they're colored in it, and versus Bugs they're Life, disturbing. like they look more like it's supposed to be more magical, more fantasy type with bugs life yeah that's more appealing pixar to a kid right yeah yeah it's great so dr strange love is a wow strange love k love it's probably <laughs> strange love is a fun movie to watch after oppenheimer because it's almost like a sequel because yeah one thing i know about dr strange love is originally kubrick wanted to write a drama about the new Popular bomb yes. and like if what would happen if somebody dropped one is the book yeah yeah exactly it's, there's and there's another film that's uh has some really? similar moments i can't remember the name of now but it's about basically what happens they nuke new york i actually watched that one when i was a kid mm-hmm. too and that one was really disturbing because they commit is it an american pilot nuking new york and he commits suicide right after with like a stamp that oh, has like wow. poison on it or something really but the point is originally he was researching a drama and the more he read about the actual like um, what's the word protocol put in place for what would happen if if there was a nuclear scare he realized how absurd it was and how like unprepared we were and so his drama turned into a comedy because he's like the only way I can tell this story is if I make it a comedy because everything is just so crazy wow. so the movie is actually very accurate to like American nuclear protocols at the time like it's research you know like any Kubrick movie is it's researched really heavily but um, 
So it's funny. But then, so, so in that way, it is a kind of a fun, because I imagine Oppenheimer is a lot about like the hubris of man doing things that they shouldn't do and like kind of crossing into God territory. Yeah. And then Dr. Strange loves all about how humans shouldn't have that power either, but in like a more of a comical, you know, farce way. Yeah, exactly. And one is actually like, obviously their biopic history, you know, trying to go fact by fact where it is fun to see the history of really like the, the, the atomic bomb. And then you're watching a movie after that's a more crazy, like over the top, like fun version of like something that you saw like the making of and now they have all these nuclear right. weapons and missiles because i don't want to uh, i mean if you want me to spoil oppenheimer or talk spoilers on that movie yeah because i know you haven't seen it yet but we'll save oppenheimer because that's so new just in case the listeners also haven't seen it yeah and that is like a big one right now because i almost slipped something i was like oh crap i shouldn't say that uh, about like what, the way the movie do, whatever like because if it the way that movie ends <laughs> is a good transition i'll just say that it is a fun interesting but yeah i, I did like oppenheimer like the first time was I, I was we talk about the uh the nolan effect though where you see it the first time and yeah you, you see because i saw it in the the way he intended the 70 millimeter imax format which it was beautiful because that see, he's the guy who knows how to shoot the real IMAX, where it's in that one forty three yeah. ratio square, not the LIMAX where it's just widescreen. I feel like like the mid twenty fifteen or sixteen, they started doing more of the LIMAXs, and I'm kind of annoyed with that kind of IMAX versus the real square. And so there would be there'd be bars, there'd be letterboxing on the left and right of the image, correct? Yeah, because um, a normal theater screen. Because I know with the Dark Knight was supposed was originally the first uh like hollywood movie to use imax cameras that they use in those documentaries that they would do like you know like at facilities i'll do this like aquarium stuff or the space imax and he just said like why not use those cameras on a on a big action like movie so like the dark knight was an experiment with that camera and (laughs) i remember seeing that in imax when it opened it was just like no way this is mind-blowing so ever since i was like okay i support that that's a cool format but I do but agree just with the slightly larger frame. Yeah, and especially it's supposed to look tall, and you're seeing the tower where they're building the bomb, so it feels like you're on this kind of like roller coaster with hmm. some images. Cool. But I have to agree with you also that his problem with using IMAX and the regular format bouncing around is just a little jarring because uh, this movie does it a lot, <laughs> and it's three hours, and they do a lot of the cutting to the two thirty-five to the full IMAX for just like a split second and cut back to a... it's so distracting yeah I'm, I'm sorry not to be like I know it's cool but it also takes me out of the movie usually like actually I watched Guardians of the Galaxy 3 which was yeah we never great, had to talk about that way. yeah it's uh, fantastic really surprised at how much I liked it, it was great, I also right? felt like yeah I kind of have a theory I want to do sure. some like breakdowns but I have a theory that like it's kind of a big flex on a lot of other blockbusters, specifically like superhero blockbusters that have come out recently mm-hmm. because there's a lot of scenes that mirror scenes in other movies, but he does them like much better, frankly, and executes them much better. Yeah. And I felt like it was kind of him more or less. It was kind of like a little sampler of just like how many like flavors and like styles he can do and then do better than everybody else who's doing it right now. And yeah. I'm not even a huge James Gunn fan, mm. but I wish I, 
I have to rewatch it and go through. But like one example I can think of off the top of my head is like Modoc from Ant-Man. <laughs> really disappointing, kind of a classic <laughs> character. Yeah. They kind of try to do this arc where he his like redemption arc is just kind of realizing he doesn't need to be an a-hole quote unquote that's like literally the line from the movie (laughs) and then they kind of make fun of him and he dies and it's like oh okay so what was the point of that in my opinion in guardians of the galaxy 3 they have the character the golden guy who's kind of also another character who's designed to be a weapon of destruction like modok is very similar kind of like one one track minded where he's just like oh i just want to destroy things and make uh the bad guy happy. Yeah, Will Poulter, which he was so good yeah. in Guardians. Uh, Adam Warlock. I and then <clears throat> he even has a scene, and this is where I'm like, man, I wonder if this really is supposed to be a direct reference to the other movie where somebody saves him. It's like Drax or somebody saves him. And they're like, mm-hmm. he's like, why did you save me? I tried to kill you. And they're like, oh, everybody deserves a second chance. Groot says that. Mm-hmm. And so then he becomes nice. And it was literally the same beat in Ant-Man is when the uh, cast, he says, you don't need to be an asshole. And then he realizes, and then he like changes his ways and it's almost the exact same character arc, but done so much better and like so much more rewarding and like so much more sincerity and like love for that character. Instead of it just being like a big joke where they needed somebody to help them in a moment. So they made Modoc turn and like just wrote some dumb scene to get like him to make a last minute shift to be good, even though there was no build up to it where uh, Adam, the warlock, that's his name. Mm He, he really had a full arc and it was really fun to see him switch and help out the good guys. And eventually, spoilers, becomes a guardian at the end of the movie. Yeah. No, it was, a, it was quite the surprise. I have to agree with you on that movie because, like, you know, now looking back on Ant-Man and comparing to this movie, Ant-Man is pretty embarrassing. Quantumania, just God, so... in comparison of, like, see, look, you actually have a real filmmaker, a real guy who, you know, who makes movies and not just, yeah. I'm here to do whatever you know, the studios want me to make because I felt like that's the corporate movie. Like more so, I mean, I know that they're both by Disney, but you feel more corporate with Ant-Man versus Guardians felt like this is a guy trying to, you know, be an auteur with this, his thing he started for the past decade and thought he was... There was a vision. Yeah. He had a vision. Like he knew what he wanted to do and like had these ideas for scenes that were cool. And like, I feel like when you watch Ant-Man, you're like, there was no idea here. They had a movie they had to make they had like a script that they had to follow. Yeah. But nobody was like, oh, I have this awesome idea for an action scene that no one's ever really done before. Which when you watch Guardians 3 especially, yeah. all of them are great. But Guardians 3 especially was just like, these are all these like, I felt like to me it was like, these are all my cool ideas I've had that I've been like saving for a moment. And I'm just going to put them all in this movie because I'm going to go do, I'm going to go run a studio now. So he's probably not going to be directing or writing as much as often because he's going to be producing. And so this was like his last chance to do all of his little things. Yeah. And so, cause like every scene is like great in that movie. Yeah. Like all the set pieces are fun. Yeah. It's a little long in the middle in my opinion, yeah. but beyond that, it like, and it, it almost like deserves it. Yeah. There was a lot of like emotion and stakes and the villain was pretty like had clear motivations. Like you get like, okay, what he's trying to do. And I know he's pure evil, but you get this whole like, yes, pretty cool backstory with him and baby rocket. Well, and how can that dude not be a direct challenge to Kang? Yeah. Like it's such a similar character in the way he looks, in the way he acts, yeah. and his powers. Like you're right. if you told me that was Kang, I would have believed you. Like if you're like, here, this is Kang, it's just a Dude. alternate universe or like a variant. 
Dude. I'd believe you. And I'm like, so is that to me again, that's like him being like, Hey, you know how you guys are trying to do Kang? Like, look what I can do in like one movie to set up this like awesome villain. Cause he was one of the better villains in a long time in the superhero movie. I have he was very fun. And his stuff with raccoon was like chilling and, and you know, very effective. Yeah. And I, I have to agree, man. Like, he he's more memorable than King for me, and I'm that's he's I'm very disappointed now. When I look back on Quantum Mania, like yeah, he had cool moments, but I just didn't feel like the power like that they've been hyping him up to be in that well, film. No, dude, and I just watched the behind the scenes because the Disney behind the scenes are oh, like a dystopian yeah. trip dream. If you ever want to watch them, I haven't seen it, but the assembly, yeah all the assembly things they're so like neutered and whitewashed and like sanitized that it's like literally like a commercial it's like watching commercials over and over like for the whole 50 minutes of it because there's no like i'm like where are the people arguing like i know people are arguing on a movie set that's like part of it and and i they're never going to show that but one of the things they made very clear in the behind the scenes is that was king the conqueror the main like I, i that's what they the writer of the movie was talking in the in the behind the scenes and made it very clear that this was Kang. This was like the worst of the worst Kangs. Kang the Conqueror. I mean, yeah, that's oh, that's funny because like if he's the, just how to ruin a villain. And I know that whole movie like he keeps saying like, oh, my, I'm not to my full potential until I leave the quantum mania. If you're like such a powerful guy, then like what you got to have like a plan C, man. You got to have a plan D or all these other things and doing what his normal plan is. I don't know. And if the worst Kang can be beaten by ants, even in the quantum realm, how scary are they? <laughs> how can they all like what? It's just regular I, ants that were just kicking in his ass. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, 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 the like the writing convenience of having the ants just magically show up. technologically advanced enough to defeat him at the end was also just like oh okay fine like i know you set it up a little bit by showing them getting pulled off when you guys got sucked into the quantum realm but that's the payoff still just like no no build up no like yeah yeah, nothing real they just wanted to give michael douglas something to do and i know that character is hanging (laughs) he has the particles he's yeah he's the guy but the movie was pointless and doesn't change anything in the mcu i think i would rather have michael pena's character instead show up in in the quantum i miss him (laughs) i was really hoping he would go with them because i thought him and his goons were going to be part of it him and his buddies not goons but they they thought they were going to be part of the (laughs) uh the rebel alliance in the quantum realm i thought those they would they would have a good like little side plot why not have him running around at least in the background disappointing guardians 3 is the improved mcu movie because yeah man the last just marvel in general it's worth watching yeah Yeah. it's just a good movie it's not a good marvel movie it really is just a good movie i agree man i think the guardians trilogy is will stand out for the test of time i think that'll be like a a classic contained thing that they've done like yeah you can look at the iron man movies but they still tie to the avengers so much heavily in those films where whereas this one feels like it's its own thing even though they have met other characters but you did a good job just i agree keeping it contained and that's like that's how it should be yeah i agree yeah it's a it's a weird time man so you like the oppenheimer uh, you know maybe it suffered from a few of christopher nolan's the nolan you know classic nolan's yeah which you know what are you gonna do uh yeah. seems to happen to prolific directors or not maybe not prolific but the uh, prodigious whatever 
But you also saw Barbie. You mentioned yeah. Mistress America. I think right before that, I saw you saw Barbie. Yeah. So I I did see Barbie. And I forgot to say in the beginning that with the Barbenheimer week, I also so I saw Barbie. I saw Oppenheimer, and I also saw the Bandheim here in L.A. So like a little so a true local, Barben a whole Barben Barbenheimer week. So it was a pretty pretty great week. Pretty eventful week. In the entertainment you should world. flex on you should flex on people i hope you're i hope you're using this as internet clout to to one-up everybody who thinks <laughs> they're the barbenheimer people <laughs> yeah. you're the one person who can spell it with the h-a-i-m yeah i should i should post that on cinema's play sometime um but yeah uh, i saw barbie and then funny enough they have a song in that movie too so it's very like oh like the stars are aligning around this area so oh hi no way well, that's <laughs> awesome well what did you think of Barbie. Okay, how to sum this up for me? I kind I'm a little mixed on this movie because I think, see, because she is the talented director. Because I rewatched Lady Bird, I actually like thought, man, this movie is a really quick breeze. Like it actually like doesn't take too much time to linger on like the the, the typical cliche stuff. It, it, it just jump cuts to like the most important moments of this character's life. And that movie is also like edited like her film she started in Francis Ha. They're just like this nice like flow. Of, yeah. Each movie is like an hour 25. They're not really long. I really enjoyed both of those for the record. Yeah. I think those are my favorites from her. Like, and I know she didn't direct Francis Ha, but she wrote, she co-wrote it or wrote it and co-wrote it and starred in it. Heavily inspired, I think, by her life too, from what I understand. Yeah. Definitely one of the like most. She did an episode on Francis Ha. Duh. Yeah. That was, that was great. That was a great listen. Because <laughs> I'm a huge fan of that movie and um, especially her in that. It's a great movie. Yeah. Definitely one of my favorite movie characters, Francis Halliday. She's just a, such a joy to, to watch and be on adventure with this character. And I like the, the wholesomeness to that movie as well. Like, it, it's great. And I think very uplifting. Yeah. And that's how I was kind of expecting kind of in the, I mean, I shouldn't have, but see, this is what happens when you have these auteurs going into like these commercial films, you have a, now expectations from their past work and especially they're a little more like not the norm of like the traditional Hollywood film. So I was expecting yeah. my expectations were like, I don't want to say super high because the trailers are also giving me like, oh, it's just a, a flashy commercial and, almost like an SNL joke at the same time. Yeah. It jumps from being this like really sweet, delightful like story. And then it just jumps to like, a, it's like a long SNL sketch at the same time. Like it really fluctuates when, because she makes sincere stuff and there's moments of sincerity, like really <clears throat> a couple, I would say there was like, wow, that's really nice. Like I didn't expect this moment or to feel something out of, you know, cause there was, there was mm -hmm. a few nice moments and it has to be because of, yeah, great actors. Like I have to admit, Margot Robbie, she's really great in this film. And Fantastic, yeah. She really fan. is a delight. I really enjoy to watch. Yeah, in the film, and and it's crazy. Like because I noticed with Greta Gerwig, like with Lady Bird, especially mm -hmm. like with Sarge Ronan's performance, I kind of see uh, a bit of Greta Gerwig behind it. Just the way I maybe she directs these actors, but I don't see just Sarge Ronan. Margot Robbie, I started seeing yeah. Greta Gerwig in her, so I give that props to mm -hmm. that. That like okay. she was so charismatic and. Very, just very fun, fun to watch, and and also Ryan Gosling, he was hilarious in this movie. I'll, I'll admit, I'll go, I'll admit with everybody, he was one of the stealers because like he has comedic chops. Remember the Titans, he's hilarious. Exactly, and, and I think it's she must have looked at that movie and said, "Let's put this bad character as a Ken, as a Ken doll," because <laughs> he's goofy, he's fun, and he's just so overly confident. But it's, he's fun to watch. Yeah, he's a joy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. The movie, it's like, it has its moments, but it's just, I don't know. I, I'm a little conflicted with just some of the, 
because it's sincere, but it gets undercut by a dumb joke, like a really silly, like, oh, really? Like, this just feels like a dumb, like, YouTube video or uh, just has its moments. I'm not trying to shit on it because I know people are loving it. No, no, man. And I, I well, and, and go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, no. I was just saying because I respect the filmmakers behind it. So, uh, like, I, you know, bravo, you know, bravo to them for making the film. But I also feel like they also, like, the other issue I do have with the movie is I feel like it just gets a little too on the nose with its messages. I'm not trying to shit on it, but, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, definitely from the trailer, something you said stood out. I felt it in the trailer was like the SNL skit where I'm like, this feels like one of those movies that'll be really fun, but will get really tiring. Yes. So we watched a movie from the fifties, 1956 called Moby Dick. Oh, I need to do my last four. I was ready to freaking move on, but I'll do mine real quick as well. <laughs> so uh, from oldest to newest, I watched The Twilight Saga Eclipse from 2010, directed by the great David Slade, starring Batman and Kristen Stewart. Nice. Then I watched Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves, cool. and that was fantastic. Yeah. I'll have to talk about it again while Ian's here because Ian yeah. loved it, but he was right. It was great. It's another surprise. Really, me and my wife watched it. Very surprised at how fun it was and, and well written. And I'm I, I'm just happy to see more adventure movies coming back. You know, I feel like that's been lacking in the action genre. It's refreshing to see like just the fun squash buckling, you know, like yeah. classic like medieval movie. It's been a rough time for medieval, like the medieval genre. <laughs> hasn't been like a lot of fun ones i know i haven't watched house of the dragon you know but i know game of thrones just ended so you didn't like uh the willow tv show (laughs) i hope you caught it before it got erased from history i was about to watch it and it was gone like it just was just disappeared i forgot it came out (laughs) they did you a favor (laughs) (laughs) and you know and i have a soft spot for that old movie because it was a vhs film that we had same yeah dungeons and dragons was fun man it was another surprising film this year yeah i i had a blast ian was also right in that chris pine was great i I really did feel like he was a refreshing lead in that he was very fallible and got by the seat of or uh just scraped scraped by a lot of the time and and had to improvise and that that all is fun to me i don't like when the main character is too perfect yeah like mission possible does that well too where where it's all they mess up a lot but anyway last four Next, I watched The Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn, Part 1. And there is a story behind this. That was directed by Bill Condon. After that, and just today, I watched Moby Dick, 1956, directed by John Houston. It was fantastic. I'm very excited to talk about it. There's a lot of just really cool stuff about this movie. So Twilight, I have to explain. I've never seen them. This is my first time other than the first one, which uh, on a previous episode, we talked about dates and that was the one I saw on a date in high school. So that was the only one I'd seen. They went up on Peacock and my wife loves them. My wife read all the books. She's from Washington up north. So Forks is actually fairly close to where she grew up. So it was like, you know, it makes a lot of sense uh, in general. But also if you're from Washington in high school, a girl when Twilight comes out, I get, you know. So it's got a soft spot in her heart. They went on Peacock. I was like, oh, that's hilarious. The whole Twilight thing is on Peacock. We should marathon them sometime. And she's like, let's do it. And I was like, right now? And she's like, sure. And I was like, (laughs) all right, let's do it. So we've been watching all of them. And it's been very fun. I have to say, so I know 
we got Moby Dick to talk about, mm. but Twilight is also important. These are, especially the third one, which I believe is a clip. No, no, no. The second one was the really good one, which is New Moon. Oh, wow. New Moon is awesome. They're all pretty good. The first one is like really low budget. The director was crazy. It's a really like weird movie. The other ones are good. And I, I, I have to say this. They're, they're just as good as any Marvel. We were talking just about Ant-Man. Mm-hmm. They're as good as they're better than Ant-Man. I have to say they're better than any of the other than like guardians, anything Marvel since they did the big Avengers finale. It's yeah. it's just as good or better than like like the like this was a big joke when it came out and these movies mm. were like mocked, but r- really they're higher quality than most of the stuff we're getting now. It, we, so basically, I had fun watching them. They're not great. They're very soap opery. They're very you know cheesy, but it's fun and it's a, it's like a real movie. Yeah, it's, you know, I I feel like they're getting a like a renaissance right now. I keep seeing like little That's things crazy. about it, it, like. Um, Tarantino's theater, uh, New Beverly was screening, I think, uh, one or two of them on a midnight. And I was like, no way. I never thought I would see Twilight on it's their awesome. catalog. And I don't know. I just, been... I bet it was New Moon. New Moon, I, if you're going to watch one of them, watch New Moon. New Moon was really fun. It was solid. Um, I, I have seen, I've only seen the first two. I, and I saw them also like back in high school on a date. So, like, I don't think I was paying attention to half of the film. Oh my gosh, Angelo. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, sorry. No, I was just talking about Twilight because you mentioned also were high you school. you not paying attention because you were having fun on the date? I think I so. It, it was a bit of a blur, nice. but I remember like looking at the movie at the time, <laughs> being a dude yeah. and just being like, what is this? Like, who is like, I don't like this Edward Cullen guy or these characters. No, definitely <laughs> a guy in high school when these are coming out. There's no way you can like that. And, you know, I'm sure some guys were cool enough to pull it off. But in general, because like, you just couldn't. There's no way. Because a part of me didn't want to be like, I was trying to hold my laugh in some parts. From what I remember when they came out, there were just times it just cuts to him. He just has the weirdest, like, like look in his face yeah. and he's like how do oh, you not yeah. laugh at this this is like how's this serious well, dude, <laughs> the first one when he glitters i cracked up in the theater when he <laughs> goes out into the sun and he starts glowing and glittering hilarious <laughs> still hilarious but in the glitter way. yeah see i gotta revisit yeah, yeah i gotta you're making watch. me want to revisit these but like watch him it's and worth I, it i'd want i'd love to hear your opinion well especially it's come out such a long time ago where i feel like the hatred has just gone away and we've gotten so much other trash like the last decade so i feel like it's i could maybe see really... something pure maybe if i like because you're making me want to go back to these for some reason and if other people have been posting on reddit and all these like forums on movies it's kind of interesting and at the very least get some snacks get whatever your uh choice of um fun you know addition yeah, to your evening that's, that's just how put it, it's a, it. <laughs> buy into the soap opera buy into the edward verse it's really fun <laughs> and, you know I, like i gasp and i cheer and stuff and it's it's a it's a good time if if yeah. you cannot be too cynical well i kind of want to go back because i think both uh robert pattinson and kristen stewart has redeemed themselves as like actors because they've done some really good movies in the last few years Another another great reason it deserves a revisit. The cast has like, and also you mentioned it made me realize you mentioned Dakota Fanning this being played. Uh, no, you mentioned this being played at the new Bev. Yeah. When I was rewatching this, Dakota Fanning plays a vampire villain. Oh yeah. And she's very cold, and she's kind of like one of the bosses, kind of, and in charge of people. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me 
very much and this is our weekly connection to once upon a time in hollywood don't you forget it oh a character in once upon a time in hollywood oh, and i was shit. like quentin tarantino had to have watched this because this is the only time i've other time i've seen dakota fanning play somebody who's like cold and cunning and like kind of like a, a villain wow and very similar performances and the fact now that you're saying, you know, he's even playing at the theater, there's no way he didn't see it and and had to consider that role at the very least from casting her in Once Upon a Time. Oh, man. I mean, that would make sense. I mean, all directors try to, even if you watch, like, if you're just not by choice or with some people, you watch a film, you, you never know who you discover in a film that you didn't want to see. But maybe, hey, you take something great out of it. You'll find a good, good actor. Yep. Never know what role, what character. Um, Greta Gerwig is also in like the house of the devil as a side yeah. character and she's really good in just her few yeah. scenes and that's another role where you're like oh that actress is doing some interesting like I, I she stands out she brought some levity to that movie because there was it was really scary yeah. in the beginning and it took a little break and kind of, kind of fun with her character her stuff's always very fun and man, I don't want a great movie. I don't want to spoil. I'm not going to spoil it, but like if people watch it, it's just a great moment you'll not expect. Like with her character, <laughs> it's so well done. It's well made, well made, well directed. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've become a Ty West um, fan of, of his work, and he, yeah. yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. Great. Stuff. Oh, uh, but Dakota Fanning is also great in these movies. I think she's one of my favorite people. There's wow. a handful of people I really enjoy, but she's legitimately great as her villain character. Oh wow. It makes me curious now. Yeah, watch them. Tell me, tell me what you think. Come back on, and we'll do a. Well, maybe we'll do a uh, a special. We'll do a Twilight special if you watch all of them. You know, and I'm, do a deep dive. I know. Like, should I devote myself to like Twilight, or should I devote myself to Tarkovsky, like or Ingrid <laughs> Twilight? Dude. Cause Twilight. Because there are times I'm like, I have to be like, okay, I have a day to do nothing. Which which am I gonna binge? You know, sometimes when I have yeah, nothing, got to all do, these movies I need to watch. Oh. Yeah, because like I'm, I'm borrowing a copy of Stalker from a friend and they're asking, "Have you seen it?" And I'm like, "No, I haven't seen it yet. I want to watch it still." It's just like I got to devote time. It's like like I think it's a three hour movie. I want to say, and especially it's like I don't know, I've. I've only seen Solaris and that movie is really slow. So which I, it's good. It's really good, but I need the patience. But then I don't know. But Twilight, it's also like, you know, tempting. That's another like tempting marathon. And but I want to do it with people. I feel like I got to watch it with like a group. Like if you come down, if I go up to you, I feel like we should watch. It yes, I'm have so a good down. time. And yeah, I don't know, because looking back on it makes me curious because it has come out such a long time ago, as we said, and I've kind of like, yeah. I want to kind of see what this renaissance is coming. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, that was my last four. Not much else to say. Like I said, Dungeons and Dragons, great. Ian will get his uh, vindication when he comes back. And, you know, he'll hear me say you're right a lot. But, <laughs> he was, you know, his take on it previously was right. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. And then Moby Dick, I'm very excited to talk about. I enjoyed it and I'm grateful you watched it and we, we can talk about it. Let's take a quick break Sounds and good. we'll come back and jump straight into Moby Dick. Next day I got out of bed and wrote The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, sent it to the Saturday Evening Post. It was published. Uh, John Houston read that one story, huh? And that changed my life forever because he thought he smelled the ghost of Melville in that story. What he smelled in it was the ghost of Shakespeare and the ghost of the the Bible, huh? And so he called me on the phone and offered me the job. And and um, 
uh, a year later, when I was working on the screenplay one night, I said, John, how did I get this job? You know, everyone thought you were crazy. He said, well, I read that story about the dinosaur. And uh, I said, well, I was very honest with you. I told you when I met you, I'd never read Melville. But once I got into Melville, I discovered he had been inspired by the same people who inspired me. So we were twins. He had been um, called upon by Shakespeare to cough up the white whale. Welcome back from the break. I am still here with Angelo. We are talking movies, specifically now Moby Dick. I picked this movie last week for our movie this week. I didn't realize that Ian would be out. I'm a little bummed. You know, we'll be able to talk to him about it because I was excited to hear his thoughts as well. Hopefully he'll watch it. Maybe we can get his thoughts next week if he does. But I'm very excited to talk to you about it as well, Angelo, mm -hmm. because I saw on YouTube movies, it just came on in a shuffle. Like one movie finished and this one started and I was just kind of sitting there not doing anything and it, watched the first 15 20 minutes and was like this is awesome i'm gonna wait till nighttime i'm gonna wait till you know i can watch with my wife and maybe i'll do it for the podcast yeah another reason i was really interested in it the first of all the first 15 20 minutes were awesome so i got to the part again i'm trying to do this more in case anybody cares spoilers if anybody's worried about spoilers we're going to be talking about the whole movie the whole time so spoilers could be happening at any time so listen at your own risk it's from 1956 though so you know, but the first whale hunt, the when they go out on the boats and they harpoon to the whale and it starts, there's some miniatures work that's awesome yeah. where you can see. And if it's if it's really how whale hunting was done, whale hunting was crazy because they harpoon their boats to the whale and the whale just drags them and they just wait for the whale to get tired, which was crazy. But I got to that point and I was like, this movie's awesome. I want to save it. I want to watch it maybe for the podcast. Another reason, Ray Bradbury co-wrote it. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Ray Bradbury's books. And I've heard him talk about writing this movie and his experiences. And it was really interesting to hear him talk about it. So I've always wanted to watch it for that reason as well. What did you think about it? Well, I got to say, man, thank you, Caleb, for uh, leaving that movie in your shuffle. Because I had never seen this movie before. This was my first time watching it okay. last night. I nice. might have heard a toss somewhere because I'll get into something because I, I remember like, why is there something familiar about this? And why am I thinking like, wait, I feel like this was referenced somewhere and also influenced another movie. Uh, and I was thinking about okay. a lot while watching this, this film. It reminded me of something as well. I wonder if it's what I was thinking of. Yeah, I'll, I'll build up to that. But I okay. thought this movie was pretty, pretty epic, man. I actually thought awesome. it was really interesting. And also, I'm glad, you know, man, it's, it is crazy that they really shot this in the ocean. And I admire all the uh, the technical aspects of this. And, you know, the yeah, and it's fun. I, it, I like adventure movies and I don't I've never read Moby Dick in my life. I've never seen the other versions that are out there. So watching this one was a nice little little breezy introduction to the Moby Dick story that I've never read and experienced as a nice. film. And that was wild too. I I've only I've only read Fahrenheit 451 in high school. So I mean that was the only time I've read it, nice. but it, it, it was a very impactful book. 
the fact that that guy yeah, loved that did one. this, or at least did the adaptation, screen, the adapted screenplay for this film is wild. That is really insane. It's really cool, huh? Yeah. And he, he is, if you're not familiar with Ray Bradbury, he was a science fiction writer in the 50s and 60s, all the way till he passed away, I think in like the 2000s. He was writing, but he was extremely prolific and he was very influential in like early science fiction and a big thing for him was like the idea that science fiction isn't just like a pulp fiction genre that deserves to be like real art and like real like there's no difference between a good science fiction story and a good fictional you know just book um and so he was really big in bringing science fiction like the mainstream and and making it like a legitimate a legitimate genre, you know, in film and in, and especially in in books. Um, yeah. Fahrenheit 451, The Martian Chronicles, he wrote. Um, Something Wicked This Way Comes, uh, Dandelion Wine. A lot of really great books. Yeah, I agree because he. Um, I was. It's just cool that we got to learn that in high school. We got to spend the whole like month just learning about that book and you know analyzing and doing all these you know. I guess he, he, it's a great book, man. It was, it was it was really good, and I think it's interesting that like I would you would I would, you would never think that guy would would write this adapted screenplay for Moby Dick. Yeah, it's way different than his normal stuff, and how he came to write it is actually really interesting. I was able to find a few interviews with him talking about it, and with John Huston talking about it, and. There's one great interview. I got to give a shout out to this YouTube channel. It was produced by K3 Arts and Entertainment, but it's a 20-minute interview with Ray Bradbury specifically on writing the Moby Dick screenplay for John Huston. I'm just glad somebody recorded him talking about all this stuff. But Ray Bradbury was a science fiction writer. He was a huge fan of John Huston. Apparently he was obsessed with the Maltese Falcon. And so he, he loved John Huston and and really wanted to write a movie for him. And he eventually was able to set up a dinner with them in Hollywood via a mutual friend. And he went to the dinner with all of his books. He had copies of all of his books and he's like, John Huston, like I'm a huge fan of you. I don't know if I'm ready yet, but if there's ever a chance, like I want to write a movie for you. So read my books. And if you like my books, even half as much as I like your movies, maybe we can work together. And so John Houston read his books and called him and he's like, I love your books. One day we'll work together. I don't know what project it's going to be, but we'll find something. And then Ray Bradbury wrote a short story called The Beast from from 9,000 Fathoms or something like that. But it was about a monster from deep in the ocean coming up to the shore, thinking that a lighthouse beacon is its long lost lover. And then it dies in sadness on the shore when it realizes it's not. And John Houston read that and he's like, hey, I've been trying to make a Moby Dick movie for 20 years. I read this and I can hear Melville in your writing in this short story. So John Huston was like, will you write this? And Ray Bradbury's like, let me try to read this book. I've never read it. Like, I've never been able to get through it. I've tried to read it it's so long. It's like so dense. Let me try to read it. And so Ray Bradbury stayed up all night that night after they talked, uh, reading the book. And so he called John Huston in the morning and he's like, okay, I think I can do this movie. Let's do it. So John Huston brought him to Ireland. And then the first night, uh, or after the first few weeks, 
Ray Bradbury had written about 50 pages and he brought it to John Houston. So he's like, look, John, like, I don't know if this is good and I don't know if I'm right for this, but you know, I've written these 50 pages and I don't want to do this job just because I'm hired for it. Like I only want to do it if I'm really the right person for this job. And like, I don't want to be here wasting my time, you know, and wasting your time if, if this isn't right. So like read it and tell me what you think. And then John Houston was like, Oh, shut up, Ray, give that to me. And then just grabbed it from him and started reading it. And then, so he's like, you go to bed, like I'll read this and then we'll talk. And so Ray Bradbury is like, I, of course I couldn't sleep. Like I laid awake all night, just waiting and wondering what he was thinking about it. And then, um, he said, John Houston said, this is like fantastic, like finish the script. And then he said he like cried all night because he was so happy that John Houston loved his script. And and I was like, man, that's like so cool. No, because no, I only read trivia on it. And, and basically what you're talking about, it's like, yeah, that, that's crazy. But like hearing more details about this, he said he saw interviews. Yeah. Did you read anything related to this? Well, I just saw that Ray Bar- Bradbury had creative differences with John Houston, and I think he mentioned that okay. he kind of read like you were saying the book. They just kind of get through it, and then he said, "Yeah, like, he just bullied him to get get it done." But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and just seemed to really like John Houston. So connecting to an old episode, we watched Chinatown, where John Houston plays a bad guy. Oh, he's in he's in Chinatown. Yeah, he's actually like the main big bad guy in Chinatown, and really good. And like me and Ian talked about how imposing and like in in kind of scary he was just his like he's very tall and lean and just kind of like like it looks like he just kind of stands over people and his character is not a good guy so he's you know really intimidating gotta rewatch chinatown it's been a minute oh man john houston man i've only seen one movie from that he directed i think it was treasure of sierra madre was the only film i've seen directed. that sounds like it yeah I'm going through my IMDb and I like I like this new feature in IMDb that like you know it shows like whatever you rated or seen like whatever you might know them by and like I only have a few and and I didn't know he directed the that's cool 1982 Annie um the oh. musical and my my siblings John like, Houston yeah he said he directed it in 1982 wow. and my family loved that movie and it was always on. Like the, I enjoyed it a lot too. Yeah, it was. You know, I haven't seen it since I was a kid, but I have these memories of like Same. enjoying it, but also being like kind of crazy. It's a crazy like family <laughs> film because I remember. I know it's such a random detail, and not to segue too much um, from Moby Dick, but in the movie Annie, there's this. No, you're good, man. This Indian bodyguard who like has telekinesis, like telekinetic powers, <laughs> okay. and he starts just like levitating things, and nobody's like not even wow or amazed like by all the things he's doing, but it's just so subtle, but it's like done in like the era where like kids movies still look like they're made by directors who do cocaine or something. Like there's just something like gritty and dark looking about that movie. Like, just in memory. It just didn't look like a normal family film. Like, like today's standards of family. movies. Um, they definitely were more challenging for kids. I think, I think they were definitely more about like helping kids like, be exposed to crazy things in like a safe environment almost where now it's just yeah. about i don't know maybe maybe there are some kid shows like that but yeah and then yeah they definitely seem more sanitized now and not to segue too much and that was also very interesting with the recent barbie film because it's, it's supposed to be a family film but it is pg-13 because there's a lot of just innuendos and little like little jokes yeah. like that and it's like I didn't, even, I didn't think it was that bad, honestly. People were like, oh, it's not for kids. I'm like, no, nah, the kids will like it. I'm sure you show a seven-year-old girl, they're going to enjoy it. But like, I didn't think it was like that. I don't know. 
but it's just funny how the ratings have changed so much. Even little things could just get yeah. you that rating, you know. I know it takes a heart. You said 2001 is a G? It's a G movie, man. Rated G? Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> it changed for sure, man. And people die in it. Like, a monkey dies and another astronaut Very dies. Very heavy, yeah, graphic death scenes. And it's creepy. Yeah, it's amazing. It's a creepy movie at times, man. It gives me chills still. <laughs> um, but yeah, sorry. So... Another cool detail as we uh, continue to slowly introduce this movie, Captain Ahab in this film is played by Gregory Peck in in quite a left turn for him as well in his career. Dude, I did not know that was Gregory Peck at first. I I was like, who is this Abraham Lincoln looking guy? I thought it was Abraham Lincoln at first when he showed up. Like, who is this? So he does does look uh, uncannily like Abraham Lincoln and... According to Ray Bradbury, that was actually a criticism of the movie when it first came out. Oh, really? That he looked too much like Abraham. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. So people, I mean, it's kind of cool. at the time yeah. even people were kind of making fun of it. I think <laughs> it is kind of goofy at first. Like when you first just see him just pop up there. I, I mean, I was like, "What is that, Abel again?" See, like, <laughs> I just love the it's reveal because cool. they. Yeah. I love how he's like alone in the cabin, and everyone they showed the shot of the cabin door being closed. Yeah, and you just keep hearing hearing about Ahab the whole yeah. intro. So it starts with um, the classic line, call me Ishmael. Yeah. I like that whole narration sequence, introducing the characters. The whole, very beautiful. And so he's he uh, is following a river down into the local town to t- go to the sea. And he's kind of talking about how the sea is where you go, like when you need to reset and refine yourself. Then he walks into town and finds the local pub, which was called the Spouters Inn. The Spouters Inn is basically like a whaler's bar. And once he's there, pretty much all you're hearing is stories about Ahab and and just kind of the whaling culture. And it's a really cool introduction seeing him get brought into this like whalers group who most of them end up being his uh, crewmates on on the ship. The I can't remember the name of it, but it's got a phone. Oh, the Pequod. Yeah. Pequod. Pequod. Yeah, I can't pronounce it. Um, but something along those lines, I think that was the name of the. Yeah, ship. so they build him up a lot, and then you see the door, and you hear that he's inside, and no one's seen him yet. Oh, so yeah. you're like, oh, crap. And so when he does finally emerge, it actually reminded me of Willy Wonka, because he kind of, again, he's like built up yeah. as a ton of hype. Like Willy Wonka, oh again, you gosh. hear so much about before you ever see him, and you've got this like all these crazy ideas of who he is yeah. based on all everybody's like crazy opinions. And then you shit. finally see him. And he like kind of like limps out of his door and you're like, oh man, is he just like going to be this weirdo? And then his speech is like amazing. And he just like all the guys buy in like the first speech. And it's like, it reminded me of Willy Wonka coming yeah. out and then doing the flip. And then immediately everyone's like in there, yeah. you know, they just buy it immediately. Dude, that's exactly the Willy Wonka opening. And then this movie came out 20 years before that movie. So I could, I could probably see that as an influence of like building up that character now. I'm not, I'm yeah, and he that. he even has a peg leg, which reminds me of the cane Willy Wonka has, which That's at first true. again you think is going to be this like limitation, but the peg leg never ever comes up in the movie. Like he's able to do everything. He's going out and whaling with them. Like he's you know rowing the boats. But that's a good that's a good uh, um, reference because they there's it's very similar because they keep talking about Ahab and especially Willy Wonka. Like the first forty minutes of that movie, you don't see Willy Wonka. The whole movie's yeah, built around just the like building up yeah. the, 
the um the enigma that he is yeah and in, in both you know what that's cool because i actually like because because you do wonder like who, who's this ahab because I, at first i thought it was gonna be orson wells when you first see him come in the movie and i'm like holy shit yes. orson wells yeah i was gonna say he plays a pastor a pastor a pastor a pastor of a church in this yeah. movie also the coolest podium of all time his podium is like a big ship that he's literally like two stories above the whole congregation. Like they're, they had to crane their necks so much to watch him talk. It was hilarious. Oh man. It's just wild. Cause it's like, this is a guy that's directed all these like, you know, staples and like filmmaking. And, and then the, I had, I, I don't know. I was, I was blown away just, especially the way he was staged and it. it was pretty epic. It was, this movie is also, I like the way it's shot, man. I really do. And, uh, yes. Cinematography is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so great. And I, I'm so baffled. Like I, I, Definitely would love to, you know, learn more on the filmmaking side because I just like I don't know how they because they said they built like these rubber whales like it was like eighty feet long and I'm just like because I couldn't yeah, figure yeah. out in the movie like were, were they actually getting real whales? I was convinced really well in this one like I didn't think it was too too like obvious it was something <clears throat> fake you know? No, they did. It was in the the special effects really were incredible. It rarely is enough to to break suspension of disbelief. Like I could buy in, like I was saying the the scene that I really bought in where I stopped watching cuz I was enjoying it so much was the first scene that they chased down a whale. And it's incredible. Also the music in that scene blew me away. And Soundtrack's another good. really neat thing they soundtrack was so good. Another neat thing they do in this movie is the men sing like whaling songs. So they while they're rowing out on their boats, they're all chanting some kind of like whaler pirate kind of song yeah. you know and that with the music and then the editing of the whaling scene the first whaling scene when they come across the first whale creates this like trance like effect where you just get caught up in this like rhythm and the chanting and the music behind it and each cut is just like perfect I was like, oh, this is as exciting as any modern anything in a modern movie with the best CGI. This this is just as good as. I agree, man. I, I think like yeah, the music, the score is so good. It just fits so well with like all the Especially because, like, this is all real things happening. These guys are really moving. They're really rowing this boat, getting yep. splashed, you know, and tripping. And I heard, yep. like, I think it was Gregory Peck or one of the actors, like, broke their kneecaps on, on the set. He, like, in, entered the boat wrong or something. So, I'm like, I... It's... Let me find... It was uh, Ishmael. So, the main, the main guy, kind of, Ishmael broke his foot from what oh, I read. Oh, wow. And then the second captain, whose name I cannot remember, had a slip disc. And then Gregory Peck almost drowned twice. That's according to Chat GPT. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, Chat GPT. Yeah. Thank you for all your good facts. Um, but yeah, it was it was like they really shot on the ocean. So you were talking about the whales. So they did have like 90 foot prosthetic whales, from what I understood, that wow. they were shooting with. And from what i read they actually went through 
multiple 90 foot models that they lost to the waves because they were actually filming them on the open seas apparently so they'd be filming it and it would just get destroyed or the the whatever mechanism mechanism they're using to pull it you know the connector would get destroyed and they'd lose them and actually one of them ended up at the uh museum or the uh the london zoo oh really like just like as like a fountain attraction oh so so you mentioned and if they were real whales it was a mix so some of the shots they did go out and film real whales swimming and use that and then mixed it with the models the models they had it fooled me man like oh yeah me like and so this one also reminded me of something i talked about in the show another time the mutiny on the bounty that i watched which i think was from 1962 Mm -hmm. but it was another movie about a sail uh, boat on the ocean and they also shot a lot on the ocean and very practical and it looked amazing. Oh, wow. Reminded me of this one. I'd recommend that if you kind of got a kick out of the boat stuff. In oh, this. I got to add that to my watch list. And so Gregory Peck, we didn't quite get to that. Gregory yes, Peck yes. was so good as Ahab. I agree, Once you get over man. the Abraham, Ahabram Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> I, I loved him. And every time he does a big monologue, like his first monologue to the, to the, to all the cat, uh, to all the shipmates when he does the whole gold, the gold galleon, the Spanish gold galleon speech. Yeah. So good. I was hooked. Dude, he gives me chills, man. There's, he has like a few like speeches in this film monologues and I, just a close up. I know like I was reading on the facts that he's just not a fan of like his, his role in this movie. And I'm kind of like, don't be so harsh yeah. on yourself. You know, I know the movie, like, just looking at the trivia that it wasn't like a big financial success when it came out. Hmm. He got okay, bummer. Interesting, like mixed reviews. But he himself was harsh on it, saying like he kind of regrets not doing it. And I'm like, no, dude, you were chilling. You gave me chills watching this movie. And yeah. And I was gonna say the movie I was really thinking about while watching this movie, and and also his character was reminding me of uh, Robert Shaw from Jaws. I was really thinking a lot of Quint. I was thinking about Jaws a lot. That was was the movie I was. Yeah. So I was gonna, I was literally gonna ask you if it was Jaws because when I was talking about them having trouble with the models, like oh, it sounds like Jaws. They tried to do the open seas. They kept having production issues. It's so crazy. It turned out incredible, but it was kind of a nightmare to shoot. And I looked up after, and I guess that was Moby Dick. The book is an influence on Spielberg for Jaws, and I could I would not be surprised because he oh he even said. That he wanted Robert okay, Shaw, yeah. he wanted a scene in Jaws originally for Robert Shaw to watch this film in a theater, like just as a little reference. Nice, yeah. just to give it, yeah, the direct, the direct reference. That's cool. But I think like that makes total sense, dude. Yeah, it's there's a lot of a lot of it alike. It's so funny. Like if I saw Moby Dick back then, and if I watched Jaws, I'm like, hey, this is just like that Moby Dick. What movie. a rip! Yeah. <laughs> you want to watch a real? <laughs> Ocean monster kaiju movie. But it reminded me of a kaiju movie at times too. Yeah. That kept popping up in my mind. Just like it was like basically like not basically like, but it was like similar to like Godzilla. Dude. Just in how much they, they prepped it and how much of it was based on the sailors' fear of the monster that added to the audience's fear of it. Like you really bought that these guys were terrified of it. Yeah, dude, exactly. Like there's just something because it's it's mysterious for the most part. You don't really you only see like Maybe you see uh, the the few whales they kill, but you only see snippets of this this of Moby Dick. You know, it's just like yeah, and it's, it's done so well, so effectively. Yeah, very intense too. There are times like the way people die and get eaten in this movie. It's, yes, it's dude. insane. 
And exactly, it so, ends like Jaws too, like when he goes into the. I was gonna the, say, so he literally at the end turns and bites like the boat that that Ahab is on. Yeah, and then, so big spoiler at the end, or big spoiler um, now. I have to get to because I loved it. I just have to say this and make sure I say it. Yeah. So at the very end, Ahab gets bitten Jaws style. His boat just gets destroyed by the white whale. At this point. I think he's going to win. The whole movie is about people telling him he can't beat the white whale. All the other ship captains that he runs into are like, Hey, we passed the white whale. He's like, where? And like, don't go after him. What are you doing, dude? Yeah. Just like, let it go. And he won't let it go. And at this, I believed he was going to win. Like, I was like, I think he can beat it. Like, I think he's going to overcome fate. I thought so too. And then he can't, he cannot beat nature. The white whale destroys his boat. Yeah. He gets, tangled up or i think he grabs on at one point because he won't let go to the rope mm-hmm. so at this point the um the the white whale has been so so attacked by so many people and like been around so long that he's covered in ropes and or you know, spears and things and so yeah. he grabs one of the ropes that's on him and is getting dragged along by moby dick and then ends up just getting tangled up in the ropes and he's spread eagle like jesus just flopping around but the visual of him on the whale tied up was one of my favorite things it looked so cool and crazy yeah and then basically that's how ahab dies spoiler that's how ahab dies he (laughs) just gets dragged off he's forever part of the myth literally part of the myth of the white whale anytime somebody sees the white whale now they'll see his bones and corpse that's nuts i didn't think he withers away yeah because like it was pretty haunting from what I saw that, but like, that's an interesting look into that. Like the way he like, he's, he's done it, you know, he's literally sacrificed himself this whole life just to kill this, this whale. Yes. And then he becomes like part of the myth where like, cause you can imagine sailors in the future saying, I saw him, I saw captain Ahab's body still strapped on. Like, no, you didn't. That's impossible. I swear, you know, the next, the sequel Ahab will just be another, another footnote in the legend. Uh Where in the movie you start buying in thinking he might be the guy who finally does it, but yeah, a star crossed hunter. And I was, I was very like, yeah, it's very interesting that like we, this is an Ahab centered movie. Cause I really thought it was going to be more of the main, the, the young guy in the beginning. I thought he was really going to be the more Same. central protagonist. And this re- movie really is all Ahab. It really, he is like the center centered character. And then, yeah, he kind of meets his, you see his, you know, his goal and he meets, he meets his end right there. Yeah. Such a epic. It was so metal. I want to actually do. I was thinking it'd be fun to do like a little music video and taking clips from this and putting it to some kind of like heavy metal song. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would work because it's this movie is like, this movie's pretty metal. This movie's pretty metal. Especially the footage of the film. Yeah. I think it makes sense. We're talking about the cinematography. Another thing I loved about the cinematography was the way the water and the environment that they're in, they interact with a lot. Like if they're on a boat, the camera is going to be shaking with the boat and the water will be splashing on the lens. And you feel like you're one of the guys on the boat and, and really anytime, uh, or most of the movie is shot in a very immersive way like that. Like I feel like every other shot water was getting on the lens yeah. and I really, really enjoyed that. And I felt like for a movie of this time period, 
it was especially cool seeing such like a handheld kind of immersive feel to something. And, it, and again, it worked like yeah. everything came together perfectly. It really was just like a fun, immersive movie. It really was, man. I, I, I really enjoyed the spectacle. And I, I, you know, sometimes I don't mind watching a, like a fun old fashioned adventure movie. Like when they're all prepping to sail, it just felt so nice. And the music is so yeah. beautiful. And I don't, I love the wholesomeness to it. And at times I'm like, I, this is like a, I don't know. This is like the Pirates of the Caribbean movie I wish I had. Like it feels more like in, yeah. in tune with the old classic like ride. Like there's some vibe about the old just the old style to it, man. It's a, yeah, I agree. But I really liked it. I really, really enjoyed it. It was not a movie I expected. And I, I love just like like I I wanna say this has been referenced. Maybe in that Jaws book I the making of Jaws book I have mentioned it maybe. Uh-huh, cool. I wanna say there's something familiar, but yeah, it's crazy to see another uh, Gregory Peck movie. I've only seen just a handful of movies from him. And now it goes because I've only seen the To Kill a Mockingbird and yeah, uh, which he's great in. I want to say The Omen was the movie. I uh-huh, more from the original with him. Omen, yeah, obviously, yeah. But I haven't seen Cape Fear. Um, I know he's in a few more, but so fun fact about Gregory Peck and Captain Ahab the role originally. So John Huston spent like 20 years 25 years trying to make this movie before he actually did and originally he wanted his dad to play captain ahab oh wow walter houston i think his name was really but he passed away in 1950 and then john houston was kind of stuck and then eventually he talked to uh gregory peck at a party and basically was like okay this guy can play ahab like this is it like i want to make the movie now so he asked him and like you said peck was not really interested in playing the role and didn't think he was right for it certain sources they'll tell you that gregory peck told john houston that he should play captain ahab but john houston didn't want to but then in an interview with ray bradbury from before he passed away he said that John Houston had wanted to play Captain Ahab, but for some reason he just like wouldn't do it himself. Oh, wow. And so I think there was a chance that John Houston could have played this role and might have secretly wanted to. Oh, and wow. if you watch Chinatown, his turn as that villain, I think he would have been so good. Like I, I'm a, I really enjoyed seeing Gregory Peck in this role, but I do think John Houston could have also done like a really special performance as Ahab. Yeah, it's been it's been a minute since I've seen China Time. I've only seen it once years ago, but I think now you make me want to rewatch it because I also liked your guys' episode yeah. on Chinatown. Oh, thank you, man. So another movie this reminded me of, and this is the other one I thought you might say when we were talking when you brought that up. This gave me big time flashbacks to James Cameron's Avatar 2, The Way of Water. Because in that movie, there are whaling scenes with the Tulkun. And specifically, the main Tulkun, which are the whales in Avatar. Yeah. Uh, whose name I can't remember, but he's oh, like yeah. the one who fought back against the whalers and that yeah. got him shunned by the other Tulkun. Uh-huh. I realized it's very similar to the character of Moby Dick if you repositioned uh-huh. the framing of a character uh-huh. like Moby Dick. Because Moby Dick is this whale that's got a reputation for destroying boats and killing whalers, and he survived forever. He's like, you know, very scarred. 
and he's a bad guy in Moby Dick. You know, yeah. you could argue he's not the bad guy, but he's definitely like a monster portrayed that way for the most part. But it, uh, Avatar, they have the great whaling scene where they have all the boats break off, just like uh-huh. they had in this movie. And then the Tulkun, who ends up being the hero in Avatar 2, has a very similar story arc to the white whale, you know, Moby Dick in, in, in this movie. Oh, wow. There are some moments in that film that has like, yeah, as you say, by like at the end, that that wheel starts crushing all the bad guys, and everyone's just yeah, getting slaughtered. Yeah. yeah, it's very similar. Wow. And then one yeah. whale being like um, demonized. They're both demonized for attacking humans, but one ends up being the hero. And then you know Moby Dick is still kind of the big monster by the end. And you know, yeah. But but you could argue Moby Dick even in in another context is the hero of that movie because yeah. he's winning against all these guys trying to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like that's like all right. Is that your right to survive? <laughs> exactly. Like you said, like you know, nature just wins by the end. You know, like man yeah. man can't just defeat nature. It's just the way it goes. Yeah, very James Cameron. And, yeah uh, jurassic park <laughs> themes totally jurassic park 2 you could probably connect some dots i didn't i didn't think about yeah. that while i was watching it but now that i say it definitely thematically of you know even nope reminded this reminded me of nope oh. a little bit with the one-on-one with a big scary monster the alien was like, like kind of having to moby dick type yeah hiding around yeah and yeah they've been trying to get, kill, get revenge in a way on this thing yeah and in that one, we beat nature. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for that for that movie, which was awesome. OJ wins. <laughs> Go OJ. That's so cool. You bring those movies up, especially Nova. I've been wanting to revisit that like this month for some reason. Um, oh, dude, I'm excited to watch that around Halloween. That'll be a great October movie. Hey, if you want to do a, an episode on that around Halloween time. Oh, I'd be so down to do some Nope. I really love it. Gets I, better. I like all I the think. Jordan Peele I movies, but Nope. It's it's the most fun for sure. It's one yeah. I can put on and just have a good time without getting like Get Out and Us can be pretty intense, and you you gotta be ready to ride the wave. But yeah. Nope can be a pretty good time. I think so. There's like I love the spectacle of that movie, and and that movie too was one of the real IMAX movies I saw. Like it was shot for that full tall format. Like the way Oppenheimer was. Yeah, right on. I wanted to take a second real quick yeah. to talk about the cinematographer. We mentioned a few times that we loved it. I love movies that are shot on the open ocean. I love big boats, I'm realizing. Uh, this was a blast. This was shot by a man named Oswald Morris. Uh-huh. He also shot a little film by Stanley Kubrick called Lolita. He shot The Dark Crystal. He shot The Man with the Golden Gun. Wow. Fiddler on the Roof from 1971. Holy. And The Great Muppet Caper from 1981. <sighs> hey, I like that as a kid. That's a fun movie. <laughs> I don't know if I ever saw that one, but I, I love the Muppet, those Muppet movies in general. No, yeah. no shame. Muppet's legit. Same. I had a VHS question. Yeah. There's a lot of other stuff he directed, but none of them are quite don't quite stand out as much as those but he shot a kubrick movie if you shoot a that's kubrick insane. movie you're a guy like you have to be a guy at that point <laughs> yeah no that's a, that's a great resume like those are all iconic movies of their own like that's a he has a bond movie on his resume and he also has, i mean the golden man at the golden gun is awesome that's the one with christopher lee roger that's moore really really fun yeah and christopher lee plays the titular man at the golden gun and mm. he's awesome yeah, it's a good one. Francisco good one. Scaramanga. 
<laughs> gotta rewatch it. it's been uh, such a long time since i've seen that one um i've only seen it once just recently but i liked it um and then uh we also liked the music a lot and just to give him a shout out that was philip sainton sainton and get this his only movie really I wonder. Yeah, this is the only movie he did the soundtrack for, according to Letterboxd, and we are a Letterboxd show after all. Mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> no, but that's crazy. Only one movie, and that's such a pretty, yeah, pretty epic it. score and really whimsical. I love it. I really it. liked it it's on Spotify. Oh no way! Cool. That's nice. I I found it on YouTube earlier when I was re-listening to it. I put it on this morning while like getting ready because I'm like, okay, I, I watched that last night. Let me get in that mode still. And it felt nice in the morning listening to the score. Like something about it was just like making my day. It's just really happy and uplifting. I'm on an adventure. I'm going to go to work. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I want to ask you some questions about sure. the movie. What was your favorite scene if you had to pick one? Um, I like all of the just the parts where they're hunting those whales and just the whole, it's the whole spectacle yeah. of it. Like I, I love the whole movie and I also love all of uh, Ahab's monologue scenes. Actually, it just, there's something yeah. chilling yeah. and creepy that sometimes is giving me vibes of like Willem Dafoe in the lighthouse. There's like this, I mean, not as, not as like nice, totally crazy dark, but just, no dude, I totally see that. But just like a little bit of craziness behind his eyes where you're like, is this guy all the way here? I, like I can't tell. Yeah. <laughs> like he feels like a character out of pirates of the Caribbean, like the, the ride I'm, I'm talking, not, not the movies. Like I feel like this feels more in line with the Walt Disney ride in some parts. I don't know why. You could say that about a lot of the shipmates as well. Yeah. Very, yeah, just that classic sailor type in a really fun, great way. So maybe that ride opened around that same time that movie. I, I don't know when it opened, but somewhere yeah. in the fifties. I want uh, Disneyland. Say. I think it was part of the opening of Disneyland. That would have been fifty-five. Oh, okay. I think it broke down on opening day, so it would have been <laughs> a bit before. Actually, it would have been while they were shooting, probably in Ireland. I'm surprised you, John Houston, went to Disneyland around when it opened and probably rode that ride and was like, "Yeah." And the whole the whole movie was inspired by Pirates of the Caribbean. That's what it really is. No, that was cool. I mean, at least in the visual tone, you know, that that's a cool thing to look at because that ride's a work of art. But yeah, no, I, I really, I really enjoyed all the, all of his monologues and just all of the just yeah. the intensity of it. And and, and I don't know, man, yeah. I just love just the adventure, and I I love adventure. It's nice to just like yeah. take a break from all these modern films I've just seen recently and just go back like sixty six years ago and just see a. A real, just practical film. I know we've always been trying to champion as we talk about how terrible CG has gotten. It's just even watching an old film is a nice cleanser to your like viewing experiences, you know, and something. Yeah. And you know, CGI is great and allows us to tell a lot of stories, but it is like like we said about uh, or I said about the mutiny of the HMS Bounty. It's really nice when you can do it practical, and the fact that there's these old movies where they built ships and built 90 foot whales to to make a movie you know it's i'm very grateful that we ha- we still have some of those and they uh you know we can still watch them yeah glad they happened exactly maybe we're at the point like hey if hollywood collapses and we we're, they're done like we still have a lot of great films to go back to a lot of old movies to get through still for me my list will never end probably even if they stop making movies now yeah <laughs> you know and that's fine because i could spend the whole month trying to watch all of john houston's movies because i see a bunch of classics yeah. on his resume <laughs> like africa queen that's always been referenced that's it seems like another fun yeah. adventure film i've never seen it I know it's a classic, but um. I saw it when I was a kid. Uh, 
and I I don't it was boring frankly, <laughs> but I would like to re, I'd like to revisit it now that I know I, I I might appreciate it more. Another fun John Houston one I want to watch. He did the um the first Casino Royale that's kind of like a comedy that making fun of James oh, Bond. Oh, he did. With Peter Sellers. Oh, you know, I still haven't seen that, too. I should go check that Me out. Me neither. From 1967. I actually didn't realize he directed it until looking at his thing right now. But it was more like not in the tone as what people were. It was more of a comedy. I've... It was based on the book, but it was more supposed to be a comedy, yeah, based on a James Bond book more than a James Bond movie. Maybe I should do a double feature, watch the, the new Casino Royale and then the and old the original. One. It'd be a trip probably, dude. It'd be probably quite a swing in tone. You see, you see a real banger and then you'll see just a real like, whoa. Like, I mean, you'll probably have, maybe I'll appreciate it. I'm hoping. I've never seen it, so I can't judge it. But their collections, you don't see that Casino Royale. No. So it's it's not, not considered part of the, the JBCU. <laughs> The JBCU. <laughs> hey, I think you, you named that. I don't think anyone has said JBCU before. That's what it should be called. Like. It was easy. <laughs> An- another fun one John Houston directed was The Bible in the beginning from 1966, okay, 10 years later. <laughs> I was going to say, I've seen the first half of that. And that was another one where I put it on. And I'm like, actually, YouTube movies, it just oh, came really? on. And I was like, oh, this is like, weird and then i watched it, i was like you know this kind of rules actually and i really like i want to finish that one too and watch the whole thing g- give it a full watch dude that's okay now i have to go on youtube because i have memories because my 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 group of religious household very christian home and obviously they'll show me okay. all the biblical films like especially my grandma and for I, sure and i remember course. seeing that movie and i don't know like i remember just thinking there's something like really creepy <laughs> about some parts in there. Like uh, from my memory, I just remember it being kind of like big and epic, but also bizarre as hell. Yeah. yeah well, it's like, it's like, it's kind of cool. Cause it's a fairly straightforward, like retelling of the Bible in that it's not like very like painted heavily with like a Christian, modern Christian hand, if that makes sense. Yeah. And the Bible can be very weird and pretty yeah. creepy. So a real retelling of the Bible, like Noah Aronofsky, that one gets real weird. He yeah. goes off the deep end. He's definitely not biblically accurate in Noah. I mean, that's, he claims that's to a be, wild but one. I don't think so. That man. was a weird, wild it's movie. Real, I did not expect it to go that weird. No, uh, but I agree. It gets real weird. Yeah, but that's crazy. He directed the Bible because okay, so I have seen three movies from him now because <laughs> it was Treasure of Sierra Madre, yes, not bad. Annie, and. Uh, Annie. I definitely need to watch Maltese Falcon still. That's one of those classics where it's always on my list and I never feel like watching it. Yeah, I should add that to my watch list. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess any last thoughts, any other questions? I guess favorite character, but I bet oh. it's Ahab. But let's go ahead. Favorite character. Um, Or go ahead. Whatever you're going to say. Yeah, I guess Ahab because he is the more central like I said, the more focused character we have in, in the movie. Like it's I, such a great performance. Everyone's good. Yeah, everyone's cool. There's a lot of cool side characters, but I didn't really get enough of like characterization as much as Ahab. I felt like we got so much out of him than anyone else. No, and when they introduce um Ishmael is is lodging at the Spouters Inn. And sharing a room with a guy who comes home late and turns out to be this big, tall, 
guy with tattoos all over his face and doesn't really speak English too well and pretty intimidating looking. And then they end up being friends. And that's Quaqua, I think his name is. Okay, the tattoo um, guy. And I thought, yeah, tattoo guy. I thought those side characters were going to have bigger roles in the movie. And yeah. I was actually kind of glad that they kind of faded away and it just focused on Ahab. Yeah. And, and really the, the other biggest character was the one shipmate who was trying to tell Ahab he was wrong and kept trying to tell him oh. that he should stop. If you remember that yeah. guy. Yeah, I do. I felt like he had the most screen time almost other than Ahab. Yeah, yes. Okay, I remember him. He was the one constantly challenging yeah. him and being like, Ahab, like, this is like, <laughs> at one point he said, Darwin never sleeps or something yeah. like that, which I thought was funny. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, yeah, now I remember I was going to say, same to oh, what yeah, you're please. saying is um, I was reading in the trivia that, because, again, I had never read Moby Dick. I don't know. Have you read the book? Have you read Moby Dick? No, I'm tempted to now, but 800 pages is very intimidating. Because the side characters you mentioned, now I recall looking at the trivia saying that, I guess, in the book, those characters had a lot more scenes with the characters, a lot more, you know, okay. obviously, because this is a book, you have more time to explore. And I know yeah, I know people yeah, these days yeah. always tend to always critique a, a book, a movie based on a book because they read the book. And it's like, oh, it wasn't like the book. Yeah. They didn't include all the details. Like, I had all the... You know, sure. I'm, 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 and I'm, I was, I grew up a Harry Potter fan, and but being around people, I was who, gonna say, who, I did it. You critiqued, you know, like so hard, you know, which I understand, but it's like, yeah, I mean, they're movies, like you can only put so much into it. So. And at a certain point, you're just taking away your own joy of watching it. I think, like, that's what I do with Harry Potter. I'm like, you know what? They're different. They're yeah. different. It's not a book. It's a, a visual movie, medium. You can have the book and you can have the movie, and they yeah. don't have to be the same. Like that's okay. Yeah, movies are a visual experience. You know, we're watching it. We're not really having to go through every single detail on a page. You know, and you're much more confined. A book can take months or weeks to read, yeah. but a movie you got to sit and watch all in one go. Yeah, it's an- so it's got to be short enough. Another shout out to this movie: two hours, just under yeah. two hours for an epic awesome movie and it does not push the runtime like i said stays on stays focused stays on the point of the movie which is the whale yeah and delivers i agree man i see that was the perfect runtime and everything is like hey i feel like you get it all i haven't read the book but i feel like i get the story i feel like i get like the point you know the themes kind of yeah and i know there's other interpret interpretations and you know versions of the story but this this is my it's a good introduction. I'm glad I'm kind of curious to see the other ones. The one with Patrick Stewart always throws me off. I always see like because you know me being a, a casual so Star Trek fan dude. now. I I rewatched uh, one of the one of the first uh, Next Generation movies, and there's a beginning where they're yeah. on a on a ship. And I always thought, like, when I see the memes, I always think, is that, like, from Star Trek? But it's from Moby Dick. And I always get him confused because he's yeah. wearing the exact same clothes and everything. So, but is he? Yeah, do you know if he's Ahab um, in that? Is Patrick Stewart Ahab? I'd have to look. I think that was like a made-for-TV one because I saw that when I was researching this one. It kept popping up. That was the only one I knew about, and and then I also saw the uh, there was that movie that came out a few years ago with Chris Hemsworth, where he's. Uh, well, I guess this is supposed to be about the author of Moby Dick, but it really is like Moby Dick because they're in the ocean dealing with a giant whale. Um, it was really bland. I don't remember the details, but I remember I did watch it like at home at a rental. In the heart of the sea. Yes. I saw that 
year. I remember that one coming out in Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. Yes, totally. No, sorry. I've totally missed the beginning. Oh, no worries. Um, but yeah, that's the only thing Moby Dick knowledge I've had in my life. So, um, other than the book, I know the book's been referenced, but I never read it. And, you know, they never made us read it in high school. At least in my classes, I took. So. Same. One of my biggest uh, marks of Moby Dick is actually from Matilda, where she ends the movie by starting to read Moby Dick. And the last line of Matilda oh, is, Call gosh. me Ishmael. Which is the first line of the book oh, Moby Dick and this movie? Oh my gosh, dang! I don't, I don't remember that. And I love Matilda. That was one of my childhood like favorites. Yeah, I think she starts reading it to the teacher after she gets adopted. Oh, I gotta rewatch. It's been a while. You know what? Dang, you're making me want to rewatch some of these movies. Matilda Rules, yeah. directed by Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito, yeah, great right. director. Yeah, so you, you think you think you know him, but sweet director Matilda, man. which is a lovely, yes, sweet touching film and i feel like that's like one that i feel like that should be like a beloved movie that i keep showing kids i feel like they'll love it this is something so it's a well-made oh, yeah. movie man and that girl like she was such a great child actress she was in a lot of good ones and that's i forgot i don't know it's name. a really great kid getting powers movie too like yeah. uh very <laughs> much like a harry potter-esque movie where justice for little kids and you know you know she has the same powers as uh stephen king's carrie man i feel like they're both telekinetic totally but this is like the more like beautiful whimsical like elementary school version of carrie except she's kicking ass and totally well carrie does almost just she murders people in that movie (laughs) (laughs) for this she does like really clever like things to get you know not even but treat, treat all these like you know these villain characters give them what they need you know it's whimsical revenge. Yeah. It's not as um as a brutal revenge as Carrie. <laughs> That'd be a fun double. Not feature. as um Stephen King and his Coke phase <laughs> revenge. <laughs> Man, that'd be a wild double feature, Carrie and Matilda. Like that'd be a Carrie, Matilda, and it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one and two. Oh man, Stephen King didn't he have a universe where like they all connect or like. Uh-huh. I think they do. I think they're supposed to. He had a show called, I can't remember what his show was called, but the show was about like all of the worlds colliding, kind of. <laughs> it's so crazy. Oh, the Dark uh, Tower, it's right? Too much for me. Yeah, I know. Dark Tower. I think that's like the connecting thing. I, I don't. I don't know. I think something like that. One of them, but because I was just imagining Carrie just, teaming up with the kids from It to take down Pennywise. She'd just be like WandaVision. They're like the whole Marvel universe with Stephen King. Like eleven. That's basically eleven. <laughs> Stranger things, and then Pennywise possesses Jack Nicholson to be on his side, <laughs> and then the kids from Stand by Me somehow have to team up with the kids. I don't know. Oh, that's good. That's good. All the kids. It's the SKCU Stephen King Cinematic Universe. Yeah, you already said Jack Nicholson. Oh, the kids from Children of the Corn too have to come up for Pennywise. Uh, that would be, <laughs> oh, oh Malachi! Yeah, uh, Malachi has to come out. <laughs> And and then Pennywise has a new pet named Cujo lying on his side. Yeah. <laughs> Cujo's his attack dog. That's great. Dude, that'd be nuts. Let's write it. Stephen King, hope you're listening. It'd be the um it'd be the ready player one of the Stephen King universe. <laughs> oh. oh, the car the car Christine oh, would have shit. to show up. Okay, would Christine be on Pennywise's side or on the, the it kid's side or I think you'd have to because the that movie's all about Christine driving that poor kid crazy. 
Christine versus so Carrie. Be evil. Yeah, so it's Pennywise's Maybe car. Maybe Christine is Pennywise. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's the driver. So <laughs> like, Let's get out of here. And then Christine whips in, you know. <laughs> Oh man, like, oh, man. see, That's this would be awesome. a joke, and then watch ten it. years from now, they run out of ideas so badly that they'll do it. I mean, the the Flash movie to me is pretty close to that level where it's like, oh, five years ago, ten years ago, this would have just been a joke, <laughs> and now they're actually making it. It's like, yeah. oh, we'll bring back all the Batman's, even the dead ones. Yeah, it's like, oh, that'd be hilarious. And they're like, oh god, yeah, is that is that Adam West. Oh man, let me Adam know when you watch dead. that. That'll be another little deep dive on that film. <laughs> me personally, like, again, I already did see it in the theaters, and I'm I'm kind of mixed on that. Well. It sucks because that's another movie where I want to love, and it's guys. It's it's. I mean, maybe years ago when I was, if I was a kid and heard that, oh, it's Back to the Future meets like the Avengers. Like that's a cool combination, taking the time travel concept and then a big superhero epic and one. Like that sounds cool. It's like what can go wrong? And I think like this movie is. I don't know. I think it was shelved for a reason. There's just like it has just some of the worst like visual effects I've ever seen. Life. yeah that's what I, i've seen <laughs> clips that are incredible and i've heard just in general like everything is bad yeah and then andy muschetti what he said about it was hilarious oh, too because he said it was on purpose which is like come on man don't double down yeah they're all just trying to cover their asses because he just wants to keep yeah. his job for well, i'm sure you don't want to insult all the because <laughs> i'm sure they yeah. worked hard and had time crazy yeah. budget and time restrictions and it, and it wasn't their fault either and also i i forgot to ask you what was your favorite part of moby dick and your favorite character yeah so favorite character was ahab but to give a different answer i'll say it was the preacher played by Orson Welles, yes. name, like, the character's name, like Preacher, Father, like, uh, Father Mapple. Mapple, there we go, thank you. Uh, I'll say he was. I really liked his scene. I really liked his sermon. It was Ray Bradbury writing a sermon about Job from the Bible performed by Orson Welles, which is like, how cool is that? And God prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Shipmates... The sin of Jonah was in his disobedience of the command of God. He found it a hard command. And it was, shipmates, for all the things that God would have us do are hard. If we would obey God, we must disobey ourselves. So I'd say that my favorite scene, I think the first whaling scene is like incredible. I'll also say the very final scene where Captain Ahab gets stuck to Moby Dick. And like I said, yeah. his body kind of gets like strung up in the rope and just becomes part of the whale. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And like, I couldn't believe they show it a lot and it's really kind of disturbing. And it really was like uh, f- kind of messed up to see. So I just thought that was awesome. It really did, man. I think that's why I'm like really blown away because literally I was that ending was just so explosive. It was everybody just getting annihilated and that boat's like slowly sinking. And I don't know how they got that giant prop boat to really uh, go underwater. Oh my gosh. It's so crazy. Yeah, dude. Moby Dick destroys Captain Ahab's small boat that they, they use to go out to the whales. He destroys the little boat with Ahab. Ahab is riding on him, gets tied up. And then Moby Dick goes back to the big boat, the main boat, and destroys it too. He just torpedoes it. Yeah. Just no Fs given. He's just like, I know I already won and just beat you guys, but I'm also just going to wreck your whole life right now. 
it was really cool. So one thing I don't think we touched on much was John Huston's directing. I haven't watched a lot of John Huston movies. Um, I know you haven't either, but I just thought this was a good kind of intro to him. And it definitely made me more excited to watch more of his movies. Cause I just thought the directing, like I said, it was just so immersive and like the hand, a lot of it would felt like handheld. And like, like I said, the water was the camera was always like in the scene. Like you were in the boat with them and I, it would have been easy, I think, to shoot it in more of like a classic kind of uh, distant way. Mm-hmm. But it was just a really immersive, like intense, energetic movie. Yeah. Without a doubt, man. Like it's intense. They're actually like endangering their, their, their lives making this movie. For real, man. Like, yeah, they were out in the water. People were getting hurt. Like people were really climbing and all that s- stuff. Like, um yeah, I, I just, uh, I really liked it, man. Yeah, same, man. Thank you for this recommendation. Like, I would have not watched this movie if you didn't mention anything. Like, I feel like it would have been one of those, like, oh, Moby Dick, I don't want to sit through that, you know? <laughs> I mean, maybe... Understandable. If, yeah, if, like, if, if I read more things about it or, or in John Huston, I would have eventually watched it. But thank you, man. Thank you for uh, picking this film and actually kind of opening the doors to, like, looking into more of his works, so... Oh, you're welcome, man. And I'm thank you for watching it. I had a blast talking to you about it. Um, yeah. And um, uh, sad we didn't have you in today. Hopefully, I, I'm sure I'll be back next week, but hopefully we'll have you on again for another episode. Angela, I thought this was awesome, man. Hope you have fun. Yeah, dude. Thank you for having me on again. Um, yeah. I had a blast as always. It's always a pleasure. Well, this has been... A wonderful episode of Log It. Angelo, do you have any last thoughts as we wrap up? Any words you want to be in people's brains? You know, whoever's listening right now, at this point in time, I think it's a good season to watch all these, like, you know, movies in the ocean. It's it's summer, it's hot. Put that to your watch list. You know, I know there's big movies like The Meg 2 coming out, so maybe this is a good... i for it, truthfully. Maybe marathon all your ocean movies, whether it's whales or sharks or Nemo. I don't know. Jaws. <laughs> uh, the Sphere. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Avatar 2, The Way of Avatar Water. 2. Water World. The Abyss. The Abyss. There are so many great... I think that's great advice. Everybody, take Angel's advice. Go watch a movie. Go watch a movie. I'm back for a quick note. Ian is here Hi, with Caleb. me. We missed him on the episode, so I'm sneaking him in. I you you hijacked me. Um, you or no, wait, no. You put yeah. me in your briefcase. Yeah, yeah. And stuck him into the Couldn't episode. think of a single so, movie reference. <laughs> yeah. I, it was very fun having Angelo on this week, uh, but we did miss you, miss you and guys. so it's fun to have you here at the end. Hope everything was good with your family. It was great. We had a great time. Watch some movies. Good. I'm excited to hear yeah. about them next week. You're here real quick to pick the next movie because I forgot when we were recording uh, with Angelo to do it. So Here we go. What are we watching this so, week? So I've been doing a little secret list making of movies. Now, this could also be because maybe you haven't logged them yet, but I've been looking at movies that I've kind of had in my back pocket 
and I will see if a little Caleb has watched them or not. So this is one that you have not logged. So you could have seen it. Okay. You may have not seen it. Um, I also kind of like the back and forth of an older movie to a modern movie, vice versa. I think that's fun. So we're going to go, we're okay, going to go cool. modern. We're going to the city of Los Angeles and we're going to be hanging out with okay. a, with a kooky Jake Gyllenhaal, Caleb. I choose Nightcrawler. Yeah, cool. I have Dang seen it. it. Oh, I love it. So that'll be a really fun one to watch. I wanted something unhinged. I've been seeing some, I've been watching some, some movies recently where your main character is just a little off their rocker. And I was like, this is fun. Cool. This is a fun world to live in. And I was looking through my watch list. Well, actually, I was looking at, um, the Max Service, what was once known as HBO Max. I was looking at the Max Service, seeing what they had to offer. They have some gems in there. And I saw Nightcrawler, and I was like, you know what? haven't seen that movie in a minute. I love L.A. I love movies set in L.A. And I love Jake Gyllenhaal. So, you know, kind of all coalesced into this pick, is what I'm trying to say, I guess. Cool. No, I love it. I feel like that started like a fun phase for Jake Hill, Gyllenhaal. I, wow. Jake Gyllenhaal. The Jake Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal. Yeah, because he did Velvet Buzzsaw, I think, after this, which I yeah, didn't see. Same, same director. Cool. Yeah, Dan Gilroy, where he like just screams, I remember. I think part of the trailer was that he was screaming. He, he's got, he yells yeah. a lot, and then he's also just very charismatic and eccentric. Yeah, yeah. yeah. His character has Which very, he's good uh, at. Stro- it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, fun. Yeah, I, I, fun's a word. <laughs> I was th- thinking of Prisoners, the movie Prisoners, where he has a neck tattoo. Oh yeah, he's. I've never seen that one. Oh, I mean that's that's not a fun watch. Actually, it's a great movie, but not a fun movie to watch. I think that's why I've never watched it. it just seems stressful and maybe a little sad. Yes, it's but, uh, equal parts stressful and. But this um, is a good. This is a good exhausting. like almost like a. This is like almost like a. I'm excited to watch this one. I'm yeah. excited as we move into horror movie season two, slowly but surely as summer starts, you know, fading. Once um, the leaves start changing, the ghouls yep. start coming. Yeah. Can't yeah. I might have that. to sit that month out. As you know, I'm not much of a scary movie guy. Well, this will I'll be a fun best. thing to document on the channel. Your That's true. To my lack of sleep. Pain. <laughs> I think last time Andy was on, we were talking about doing a, a was it a baseball? Just a baseball month. Yeah, for you. <laughs> Which I was like kind of secretly rubbing my hands. I'm like, yes, we can skip no, we, all the scaries. And I think there's a lot of good Halloween non-scary movies. No, you're right. Um, Actually, in saying that. It'd be fun to I, explore those. I was going to say in saying that I was kind of watch listing in my head, a bunch of movies that are creepy, scary, but you know, much more my speed. You can handle. What about like Blair Witch? Blair Witch is a tough one for me. I've seen it before, but I have no desire to see it again. But Hey, if it's, yeah. if it's a homework assignment, I might have to. No, I wouldn't make you, I wouldn't make you do that. I was trying to think of one I saw recently. That was really good. That was, at least, like, in the more, like, suspense. I don't know. We, we talked about it on the pod this Maybe? week. What, um, which one? Oh, yeah, what? Oh, but Insidious 5 I saw. the new Insidious. Oh, my gosh. What did you think? It was good. Okay, uh, I only well. saw the first one. It was, it was fun? It was, it was fine. 
I'll say actually. Uh, yeah, I talked about it. It was like I feel bad because Patrick Wilson directed it. The, you know, the I love Patrick Wilson exactly, and so I, I don't want to be too rough on it. But it wasn't that scary. Um, I saw it in theaters too, over Barbie or Oppenheimer. Ooh, yeah, but only because of runtime. We just everybody was we were talking about movie you. choices and trying to pick, and then it was like ultimately it's like, well, they're all two and a half hours or hour and fifty minutes, and so it's like, all right, I know. I think I might j- make the. I saw Barbie. Okay, cool. I saw Mission Impossible 7 a couple days okay. ago. Oh, sh- snap. And so I might try to do my my Oppenheimer watch this week. We're going to see. I'm I'm hoping. For- do you think you'll... So, yeah, we'll talk about days we're recording. But I'm excited to hear your thoughts on all of these on the upcoming podcast. It's a great year for movies. That's all I'm going to say. It's crazy. And now the left abs- field. It feels look, like it really just I don't came wanna, out of left field. I don't want to give away anything because you have not seen them yet, but Mission Possible 7 and Barbie were probably the two most fun movie experiences I've ever had in theater. <gasps> yeah, for different reasons. You liked Barbie that much? I, I loved Barbie. Wow, I genuinely okay, cool. loved Barbie. Um, Maybe we should have Angelo like, back. He didn't like it? He did not like it, but he definitely was like more like mixed on it where he was like, I really like this stuff. I didn't like definitely. I get stuff. that. I get that. They're like the middle part didn't work for me. Okay. Like a like they're essentially the stuff outside of Barbie land. I wasn't completely head over heels over, but regardless, I, I had a blast. I did have a cool. blast and mission possible. Are you, have you seen all those movies? I've seen every yeah, all but the new one, and I'm I'm pretty excited. It's bonkers. For the new one. Yeah, it's, I love these or those, and the latest I, ones. They I like. I just love how they just keep getting more and more insane. This one is is the most campy after <laughs> Mission okay. Possible Two, but in a good way. And for whatever, because wow, I watched I watched two a couple days ago. It's a bad movie. Genuinely a really bad movie. But that one is really not self-aware, but like very jokey. I don't actually don't want to get into my review because we'll talk about it another time. But yeah, cool. But man, Mission Impossible 7. It's a wild ride. It's it's well, it's great. I'm excited to hear that. And then I also can't wait to tell you more about Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, my God. I'm so happy you watched it. Me, too. I I told I said it on the podcast again. I'm mm. editing this. It'll come out tomorrow that we're recording this addendum. I'm editing the podcast with Angelo now. I basically said you were right about everything. It was a blast, oh, and Chris Pine you know, was great. That's a move. Yeah. Special effects were shockingly great. Not yeah. Some of it was bad, but it didn't. I don't think it. It didn't take away from the movie experience at all. No. It needed when it needed to be, it was there, and then when it exactly. was lacking, I didn't care. That exactly. rhymed. That, that did rhyme. Dungeons and that was Dragons. Good. That is a movie I wish I saw in a with in a in a full theater. That I saw with like two people, which was kind of a bummer. <laughs> yeah. So you, I could really only hear myself laughing. But yeah, that that movie is a blast. I'm happy you saw it. Yeah, we'll watch it again. It'll definitely be like one we put on again at some point, and maybe definitely. regularly. It could be it could become one of those because we laughed a lot. Okay, I actually now now that we talked about it, I need you to see Mission Impossible Seven because I need okay. to I need to have, ask you some questions about it. I kind of want to get get your over overall feelings with it. 
because I'm doing a slow rewatch of them. Okay. So and so I'm I'm still I just watched three yesterday. Nice. So I'm like kind of gaining speed on uh on the Christopher McQuarrie section of the movies. But this cool. one just felt so different and the the main antagonist is like interestingly like prescient in the times we're living and then also kind of weird i don't know it's uh, so i need i need a i need a caleb kind of i need a i need, I need caleb's thought thought corner yeah i'd love it i yeah. definitely it's the one i definitely want to see in theaters so the urgency yeah. i appreciate then. yeah yeah because I, I want to make it happen because that's one that i feel like really deserves a big screen yeah and there's the set or piece the last few have i should say i haven't seen the new one yeah. 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 I think in the set piece that the trailer show is like incredible, but there's another one where you're just like, like, holy cow. It's crazy. It's a Tom crazy man. I really do love him. The Prince yeah. of cinema <laughs> right now. Yeah. We'll save it. And we're going to talk again for the podcast. I assume in um, just a few days. So, yeah. And I do want to hear it. And we got to talk. Oh, there was other things, but, Oh, Twilight. I got to talk to you about me watching Twilight. Oh, my God. Okay. And hear your thoughts on that. But thank you for jumping on to get this quick thing. I'm glad I forgot to do next pick so we could do this. This was fun. So I'll finish editing. This will all come out tomorrow. And then um, next week we'll be doing Nightcrawler, baby. Nightcrawler, Jake Gyllenhaal, Dan Gilroy. Wow. Excited to talk about it. Very cool. Okay. Good luck. See ya. See ya. Thanks.